So we started last Wednesday night incarnate, the study of Jesus Christ in flesh form. That's what the word incarnate means. It means deity in human flesh. And we talked about Wednesday night how before we ever tried to identify with Jesus by faith, that Jesus identified with us by becoming a human being. In Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, if you can put that on the screen, please. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. So he says that in the negative, but he's saying it in the negative so you'll understand it in the positive. If we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize, it means that we do have a high priest that can sympathize. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Next verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We brought out the point Wednesday night that when we approach God, we approach a throne of grace, not judgment. Because the one sitting on the throne is a sympathetic God. Jesus is sympathetic towards us in our weaknesses. Why? Because he became human and experienced weaknesses too. And then we talked about the fact on Wednesday night, we talked about that long before Jesus was a minister or a teacher or a healer, that he was a carpenter, that he worked in the trade of carpentry for 18 years. He only ministered three and a half years, but he was a carpenter for 18 years. He knew what it was like to have a job that was intense manual labor. He knew what it was like to have to deal with clients and have to work for people and, and do a project for someone. He knew what it was like to get shorted for someone to not pay him what the project was agreed upon. He knew what it was like to have relationships. The scripture says he had four brothers and at least two sisters. He knew what it was like to grow up in a crazy house. He knew what it was like to have friends. And then we ended talking about how he knows what it's like to have pain, both emotional and physical. And today, in the second message of the series, I want to focus on a very simple fact about Jesus that, that might be so obvious to you that maybe you never considered it really. Jesus was a son. When I say that, don't automatically let your mind go to the famous titles of God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Take, take the, the theological lenses off for a second and just think about it. Jesus was someone's son. He had a relationship with his father. And Jesus and, fa and the father had a father-son relationship before the earth was created. We read about that in John chapter 1. So don't, don't think of it really for just a moment. Don't think of the Father and Jesus having a relationship. Don't think about it in like a religious sense or a churchy sense. Think about it like your relationship with your son. You know, we're all made, the scripture says, in the image of God. So some of the things that we do, some of the way we think about our children or some of the ways we interact we get that because it's somewhere in the makeup of God. God made us in his image. Did you know the scripture said that, that God laughs? Have you ever thought about that? God laughs. I wonder what God and Jesus laughed about in their father-son relationship. Did you know God dances? Zephaniah said that he dances. I wonder if Jesus and, and the father ever danced around heaven together. Wonder if they wonder if they ever played catch with the stars. Saw a falling star the other day. I was studying about stars a little bit. You know what the scientists say, don't you? You know when you see a falling star, the star's been falling or it fell millions of years ago. We're just now in our galaxy seeing it. What if every falling star was the result of Jesus and the Father playing catch? You know? 
what if we're living in Jesus' science project? You know, your kid makes a model of the solar system, brings it home. You know, what if this is the model? Can you imagine how much fun they had during creation? You know, uh, Jesus creates the Rockies. And the father says, that's cool, son. Here's the Himalayas. You know, Jesus creates a dolphin. The father creates a humpback whale, you know. You just wonder. The point is, these are all rhetorical things, but the point is they had a father-son relationship. Before, before we ever were, they had a relationship. Look at Matthew 3, 17. And I just thought this was a very intimate thing for the Lord to include in Scripture. Jesus has just been baptized here, and when he comes up out of the water, suddenly a voice came from heaven. Now, this is an audible voice. It's not like most times when God speaks to you in your heart, you know, when you hear him in your heart or your mind or your emotion. This is an audible voice that beckoned out and said, this is my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And people always think about their relationship as father and son, and they leave it in the context of scriptures. But the father was well pleased with Jesus before the scriptures ever came into being. The father was well pleased with Jesus before Jesus was ever born on earth. They had a father-son relationship. The father delights in him. And point number one in our series continuation today is Jesus the son the son was given. Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son, a son is given. Most famous scripture in the Bible is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. So many times we look at Jesus' messages, you know, the Beatitudes, and Jesus talking about mercy and grace and love and peace and turning the other cheek and all that. And we kind of have this thing in our mind where Jesus is like the sweet one and the Father's the mean one. But you have to remember it was the Father that made the decision to, to give the Son. How much love would it take for you to give your son. I mean, I mean, there, I mean, there isn't nobody I love enough to give you my son. <laughs> oh, if your salvation depended on me giving you one of my boys, you'd be so out of luck. <laughs> I slap you for even asking me to give. Wonder how hard it was for him to for him to give his his son. Even for people that didn't even really care. Levi was four years old, almost four years old, when he broke a bone in his body for the third time. Wild boy, you know, always getting hurt. And um, the challenge was, even though he was almost four, he couldn't really talk. Many of you know about some of Levi's issues when he was born. And we had him in speech therapy at the time. And his mind and the mechanisms of his mind were processing words properly. He knew all the words. He just couldn't, the, uh, the motor skills and the neurological pathways that, that take words from your brain and let them come out your mouth, that's what was damaged and injured in Levi. As they call it apraxia, but I'm not going to go into that. It's a, basically, you have everything you want to say, 
and you, you can't form it. You can't communicate it out. So we were in therapy at the time to try to build out those neurological pathways and, and try to get him able to where he could speak. But at the time he couldn't. And so we, we were home and he just was in a horrible amount of pain, just weeping and weeping. And we didn't know what was wrong. He couldn't tell us what was wrong. So we took him to the ER. We didn't know he had broke a bone. And so the doctor, you know, looking at how old he is, the doctor's saying, hey, buddy, you know what happened? Did you fall? Where does it hurt? He's asking him questions to try to, uh, you know, diagnose him and find out what's going on. And I was just in agony because Levi was suffering and the suffering was twofold. Number one, he was suffering because he was in tremendous amount of pain. And number two, he was suffering because I could look in his eyes and tell that he wanted to tell the doctor what was wrong and couldn't. And I had to keep stepping out of the room for a couple minutes and, and, and crying and then coming back in because it ripped me apart to see my son suffer. I wonder how God the Father felt watching his son suffer. And he could have stopped it at any moment, but he didn't because of his love for you. Point number two, Jesus the son was killed. You know, I thought about it. I'm pretty familiar with church. We talk about Jesus dying a lot, but you'd be surprised how many times the scripture uses that word killed. Look at Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elder and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Now, he told his disciples this on at least seven occasions, that he was going to be killed. And they heard it, but it didn't really register. You know? Like you think if President Kennedy would have told the people around him, the closest people around him, I know I'm going to be killed when I go to Dallas. They'd have said, don't go. You know. Or if Dr. King would have told the people around him, I know when I go to Memphis, I'm going to be killed. They probably would have said, hey, 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 don't, don't go. Jesus regularly broadcasted to his disciples, I'm going to be killed when I get to Jerusalem. You would think that they would say, well, don't go. But they heard it, and it didn't really register. I think maybe that's the case with us sometimes, that we have heard about Jesus and the gospel over and over and over and over and over again, so much that it no longer registers. Has it registered in your mind that Jesus was killed? I understand that he died, but why did he have to be killed? I understand that he died, but why did he have to die as a result of torture? He was tortured to death and killed. And the reason is because God the Father was doing more than just sacrificing his son. He was making a propitiation for us with his son. Go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John. And he himself is the propitiation. So read that little part of that verse with me. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also the whole world. Now look at 1 John 4.10. <clears throat> In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. For our sins. Now that's, that's a big word, propitiation. It's a word you probably haven't used in conversation last week, probably haven't used it in the last decade. <laughs> propitiation. And I want to talk about what it means. There's two perspectives of sin. 
Okay? There's sin from man's perspective, and then there is sin from God's perspective. To mankind, Christ's death provided expiation, which the word expiation means our sins expelled and removed. That's what the death of Jesus Christ does for human beings when we look at it. The the cross of Christ provided expiation, meaning no matter what you've done and how much you did or who you did it with, your sins have been expelled and removed and taken away from you. That is expiation. But from God's perspective, when he looked down at the cross of Jesus Christ and the death of Christ, to God, Christ's death provided propitiation. Propitiation, what's it mean? It means the need for justice was completely satisfied. Because God is absolutely pure in his nature, holy in his nature, and just. What does it mean that he's just? It means he doesn't just love justice. He is justice. So to violate justice or for there to be an injustice would be a violation of his own nature and being. And because of that, God cannot just forgive sin in in the trivial sense. Oh, you sinned. Well, you know, it's okay. Pat you on the head and send you on your way. I'll just forget about it. No, because justice still needs to be fulfilled. I want you to think about this. I have to bring it to an analogy. I know it's going to be a harsh analogy. I have to do this because we usually don't think sin's that big of a deal unless someone sins against us, and then it's a big deal, you know. We don't care too much about lying until somebody lies to us. We don't care too much about stealing until somebody steals. Imagine, imagine a family member you love very much, very much, was murdered. And the judge convicted and sentenced and punished the wrong person. Let's say DNA evidence came out and, and it was proven beyond any doubt that that person was innocent. Well, if a judge punished the wrong person for the crime, you would have your sense of justice frustrated. You would feel that it was a miscarriage of justice, that an injustice had taken place. And you would be throbbing on the inside, raging, crying out for justice to be fulfilled. On the other hand, let's say that with evidence beyond any doubt, they found the perpetrator. They found the person who was the guilty party. And then that person was sentenced and they were tried. They were punished. Then you would feel that justice had been done, that your need for justice had been satisfied. And this is the challenge that led Christ to the cross. If God, the judge, punished an innocent Jesus for our guilty sins, that would not have satisfied justice because it's not right for the innocent to die for the guilty. It's not just for the innocent to die for the guilty. So Christ did not just cover and forgive our sins. That is a gross oversimplification. Rather, Christ took on our sins, took on our guilt, until from heaven's perspective, he was as guilty as we were. He took on our sin. He took on our guilt and then was punished with it on him. We all understand that Jesus took our punishment 
But for God to judge an innocent man would have never satisfied the need for justice. So Jesus didn't just take our punishment. He took our sins. Second Corinthians 5, 21 says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That means he never told a lie, but he became lying. He never committed adultery, but he became adultery. He never abused anybody, but he became abuse. He never murdered anybody, but he became murder. Whatever the deepest, most vile thing you can think of in this broken world, Jesus became that and then died with it. That's what propitiation means. That God made his innocent son guilty so that he could make us innocent. I'm going to say that again. God made his innocent son guilty so that he could look at all of us who were guilty and make us innocent. That's what propitiation means. So when Jesus died, he wasn't just dying for me in some general sense. He was dying for the sins I committed. He was receiving in his body my punishment for all of my sin and your punishment for all of your sin. That's why the Bible says all these things that we've turned into cute cliches. The Bible says he that the son has set free is free indeed. There is no more judgment that I owe to sin because Christ didn't die for me as an innocent person. He died for me as guilty as I was because he took on my guilt. That's why no devil can curse a child of God. Sin cannot come and have dominion and charge things to your account. You don't have to hold your head down as you walk through life in shame over mistakes and sins you've committed in the past because no matter matter what you have done, no matter when you did it, where you did it, who you did it with, Jesus paid it all in his body. The reason he had to be killed, the reason he had to be tortured was to fully satisfy the longing, urgent need of justice. Justice for all of the innocent blood that the murderer shed justice for all of the people that the abuser abused justice for all of the people who were hurt by the lies of the liar there was a demand going up to heaven saying justice for all of the people who have broken hearts with their promiscuity the heartbreak and the pain of mankind suffering from the deeds of others cried out to heaven to God is there no justice and the scandalous thing about the cross, the scandalous thing about the cross is whether you're a pathological liar or a murderer, he died for both. I know it's not nice to think about, but he died for the abuser. He died for people who have committed atrocities. And he died for whatever you've done. Your guilt was put in him. And then he died with it. So that the cry in God's ears for justice could finally be satisfied. So when we look at the cross, we see expiation. My chains are gone. I've been set free. That's what we see. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Okay, but, 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 but we see expiation. But God's looking at the same cross, and he sees that beautiful propitiation. So Jesus served two purposes. He served as a Savior for us. And he served as a propitiation for God or a way to.
to right the wrongs of injustice from God's perspective. So that when we stand before God, no matter how guilty we are, if we stand before God in the name of Jesus, if we receive the Lord Jesus into our heart and we live by his word through faith, then his atoning sacrifice on the cross is applied to us. And in that moment, the moment you receive Christ by faith, God sees you as pure as Jesus was before he went to the cross. Some of you, some of you go to God with so much guilt and God doesn't know what you're talking about because when he sees you, all he can see is Jesus Christ. That's what Christ does for you. He, he changes places with you. you. He takes the guilt and the shame and the sin and the punishment and the condemnation. And then he gives you the ability to take on his righteousness, his innocence, and his peace. And some of you have been going to God crying and weeping over things. And God does not know what you're talking about. Because if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you are the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus. That's what they meant when they said Jesus paid it all. All to him I know. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed them white as snow. And we've forgotten what to celebrate about in the church. We've forgotten what to dance about. We've forgotten what to get emotional about. The greatest thing God ever did for you wasn't a promotion on your job and it wasn't a new Cadillac in the driveway. The greatest thing God ever did with you is when your sin was your soul was sin sick and everything in your life was heading towards the judgment of God. Jesus Christ came in and traded places with you, took your sin and took your punishment and told the devil to take his hands off of you. Somebody ought to give him a praise in the house this morning. A saved praise. It's off me praise. I'm free praise. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You got to forgive me. I, I, I know what it is to be an exceptional sinner. And when you've been an exceptional sinner and you get touched by amazing grace, you can't start talking about it without getting thankful. You can't start thinking about it without getting emotional. I, I know I'm the only exceptional sinner in the room, but, but if you ever had your feel of sin, if you ever had your, your taste of sin, and, and God came in and saved you, you know what it means to be thankful. You know what it means to be thankful. Number one was the son. And the son was given. And the son, hallelujah, was killed. Glory to his name. I said he was a son, and and, and the son was given and and the son was killed. Point number three. And the son was raised from the dead. John. John 21, 14. The son was raised from the dead. Glory to God. The son was raised from the dead. And this is the power of our gospel, that the Son was raised from the dead. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Do you know there are countless non-religious, just historical documents that reported seeing Jesus of Nazareth after he was crucified? It's an undisputed fact that he in history that he lived and that he was crucified 
even atheists agree with that. It's an undisputed fact. He lived and he was crucified. But did you know that the scripture says there was one time where Jesus showed himself alive after his death to over 500 people at the same time? Well, some of them went home and wrote about it. And you don't have to read the Bible to get that information. That, that's just a matter of history. People recorded seeing Jesus over and over and over again after he was raised from the dead. The Bible says in the book of Acts that he showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs. That he came and he revealed and showed himself alive. He was raised from the dead. Acts 5.30. Look at it. The God of our fathers, this is Stephen preaching, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered. And they murdered him. We just talked about why they murdered him. God, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. He was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead... The scripture says everyone who believes in him will also one day be raised from the dead. This is the gospel. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and number five, he's coming again, and he's going to bring everyone who has faith in him back up from the grave. First Corinthians 6. 14. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's good news for all of you that are going to die one day. Put that scripture back up. Look at this. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Meaning, if you die in faith in Jesus Christ, then one day, no matter how your body decomposes, no matter what happens to you, if it's five years or 500 years, one day, supernaturally, by the power of the Creator who made all things, He will bring your dead body, whatever form it's in, back to complete life, restore you, and raise you up in a new form. That is the gospel. It's like Austin was singing, resurrection power runs in my veins too. Resurrection power runs in your veins too. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, can't no grave hold your body down. Not indefinitely. There will be a time where you are raised up too. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Let's talk about that some more. In a moment, oh, hallelujah, I feel churchy all of a sudden. In a moment, ah, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Knowing that he who raised up, oh, every time I say raised up, I feel something leaping in my spirit. Knowing that he who raised up, won't you say that with me? Say raised up. No, say it like a church. Say raised up. Say raised up. Raised up. Oh, y'all leaving me hanging. Clear your throat and say raised up. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise. Uh, you didn't get it yet. I'm going to read it again. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up. Up. 
and will present us with you. That means if you ever lost somebody you loved. <laughs> if you ever had to bury somebody and it broke your heart. If they died in faith in Jesus. I'm not saying if they died they were a pure, perfect, holy person. If they died and all they had was a mustard seed side of faith in Jesus. If they died in faith in Jesus. That day when we all get up. We're going to get up together. I said we're going to get up together. We're going to get up together. You and whoever you lost, you're going to get up together. The Bible says we will know them as they were known. Oh, hallelujah. One glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. To the land of God's celestial shore. Oh, I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Oh, glory. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, oh, raised up together, oh, raised up together, oh, raised up. I wish I had a church in here. I wish I had a praiser in here. Raised up. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, he was saying the same life I got in me that swallowed death is going to swallow up your death too. If you believe. And it is so simple. That it's heartbreaking. God the Father made it ridiculously simple, almost too simple. It's insulting to me now that I think about it how simple it is. That you can reach out and grab hold of eternal life. And it's this simple, Romans 10, 9. If you confess. If you confess with your mouth. It's almost, it's, it's almost like to me, uh, we were in therapy one day and this kid did really something really, really nice for Levi and, um, didn't have to do it. And Levi was kind of in a jam and, and couldn't talk and the kid did something really nice. So I started crying. I chased that kid and that mama down and I gave him a hundred dollars. I gave him all the cash I had because I was like, you going to do something for my son. I will chase you down to bless you if you do something for my son. It's almost like God thought so much of what Jesus did. It's almost like just kind of as an emotional father, he just flung this thing out and said, you know what? 
anybody that looks at what my son did on the cross and believes it and will confess his name with I'll save anybody that'll do it. I'll free anybody that'll do that. I'll restore anybody that'll do that. Put that scripture back up there. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, glory to God, you will be Everybody say with an M. With an M. Say M-M-M. Now the church has mucked this up. Mucked it up. And we have made it so hard. got to keep all these rules and do all these things and wear these clothes. And if your dress doesn't come down low enough or if your hair is in a certain way or if you uh, mucked it up. Or if you don't know this tradition or if you don't hold yourself right or if you've ever done this or if you... But God, the Father of the Son, His Son, if you confess with your mouth, if you put my Son's name in your mouth, if you put my Son's name in your mouth and in your heart you believe by faith, that he was raised from the dead. That's it. That's it. I'll take a drug addict, whoremongering wretch, clean them all the way up, forgive them, give them eternal life, and not only that, I'll bless them and raise them up. I'll give them a purpose and a destiny. I'll turn your whole life around. Mess around and put my, na- my son's name in your mouth and, and believe in your heart. See what I'll do for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. As I, as I think about it, as I think about it, I'm, I'm aghast, flabbergasted that he made it that simple. One of our great problems is we have heard the gospel without really hearing the gospel. And the gospel has been so Americanized, I fear that many of us have almost been inoculated to the virus of Christianity. If Christianity was a virus, I don't know if most people could get it because they've been so inoculated with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A form of godliness, but denying the power But the heart of it isn't a church or a pastor with a Bible and a a microphone or a choir singing. The heart of it really wasn't even the Bible, not, not to begin with. The heart of it was a father and a son. father who was so capable of loving people who wouldn't love him back. He 
he made so much available and he made deliverance and a rescue and an escape from death. And he tied it eternally to you hearing about his son and then just believing it in your heart and then speaking it out of your mouth. With every person standing and every person bowing your heads, please, in reverence of this moment, I would ask you not to look around. If you're here today and something's not right in your relationship with God, you feel far from God or you feel like maybe maybe you've never connected with him in a real way, in a real sense. No one, no one has to go to hell when a Savior has made salvation so readily accessible. If there's sin in your life that you need to be cleansed from, if there's something in your heart that shouldn't be there, if you're carrying the weight of guilt and shame, and today you need to connect with Jesus. If something in the message today pricked your heart, stirred you, and you felt maybe I've been talking to you right where you're standing, would you just lift up your hand? All over this building, if you have your hand up, I want to challenge you to come down here and meet me in the altar. Because there's something about saying it publicly. That's what the Apostle Paul was teaching. He's just teaching, if you confess it publicly, if you say it out loud, Jesus in one point said, if you confess me openly before men, I will confess you openly before my Father. And so if you're here and you want to seal the deal today and make a public confession, of Jesus Christ if you're here today and you want to be saved come our elders are gonna come and they're going to to lead you in a verbal confession with your mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ I know you have belief in your heart or you wouldn't have come down here if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, glory to God, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The simple, simple, simple gospel, gospel, gospel doesn't matter what you've done you can lay it down it doesn't matter what's been going on in your life you can lay it down while these here are praying would you lift up your hands as we sing if you want to come come
confess that I believe Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And today, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my shame, to live in me and to lead me. And I receive you today, Jesus, with joy and thankfulness. In Jesus' name, give the Lord a praise. keep you. May you be caught in the purpose of God for your life. And may the blessing of the Lord chase you down. May you have peace in your homes. May you have strength for the test that you go through. May you always be reminded in this season of lights and trees and gifts and presents that the real gift was the son that was given to save your soul. And I pray this blessing on you in the name of Jesus. We're doing a lot of things in the community. You can you helped us yesterday with the food pantry. It's amazing. You help, you're helping us with the blood bank. And if you have anything you can give today for a special offering, we're going to be going through the stores, through Walmart and HEB. And we're going to be randomly going up to people that, this is so cool, we're going to be randomly going up to people that are in line buying groceries or toys or whatever. And we're going to be sticking a cash card and swiping it instead of them having to pay. And we're just going to smile at them and say, be blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. We do it every year. And it's one of the funnest things that we do. And we have a blast doing it. And if you'd like to help us, you can get an offering. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell you what amount, but just if you have an offering that you would like to give and help us be a blessing to our community in this season, I know the Lord will bless you for your generosity towards his people. God bless you. I love you so much. Stay connected with us. I want you to hear this whole series. I want you to hear what we went through Wednesday night. This last Wednesday night, I want you to get online and listen, and then I want you to hear the next one. It's going to be it's going to be good. Jesus, Jesus is amazing. Do everything you can to come back next week, okay? It'd be great to see you. Do everything you can to come back next Sunday. I love you. God bless you. You have a great day.